What are you laughing about? I'm laughing because I'm researching the quip that we're about to talk about, and I just everything about it is wonderful. Okay, please. <laughs> exactly. So, Allie, did you know that um, yesterday on the Max, which is like Portland's, you know, transit situation. The best transit situation. Literally. Um, a man stopped an armed gunman um, by disarming him and holding him down until the police came. Pretty interesting, right? Yes. Not surprising, sort of, but go on. Exactly. The Portland parts of this, though, is that um, I just read a headline that said, Headdress Rocking Good Samaritan was just trying to get some weed. (laughs) (laughs) So this man's name was Rambo Richardson. I love it. Yep. And he was wearing a Native American headdress. And in his interview with KGW, he said, I was just trying to lead by example. That's what people do. I was just trying to lead the indigenous life. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. I just, the name Rambo Richardson to me is just a, a powerful one. I don't know that it's someone that I see embodying like an indigenous headdress on the max. I'm not surprised. But, okay. Yep, so hero Rambo Richardson disarmed and held down a gunman on a max while wearing a Native American headdress. Just every single facet of this is beautiful. Okay, well, um, thank you, Rambo, for saving, preventing lives from... Yeah, nobody died on the max that day, so... He prevented, I think, probably some loss of life. Okay. So Shout out to Rambo for living that good, good life. <laughs> right? I. Anyways, so shout out to Rambo. What do you think, if Rambo uses Facebook, what do you think that their post would be that day? Like, sup? Uh, I see that you're all talking about me on the news. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to live my good, good life, though. Thanks. My favorite thing is all the headlines. They're all just so Portland. I literally Please. can't stand it. Headdress rocking. Good Samaritan. We're just trying to get some weed. Not <sighs> over it. Okay. <laughs> Feathered Rambo stops commuter train shooting. <laughs> <laughs> I, do you identify as a feathered Rambo? Because I identify as a feathered Rambo. Holy shit. Maybe we should get to talking about the book, but also maybe we should just talk about Rambo. <laughs> yeah, I think we should reevaluate what we podcast about because I think the local Portland news might be a good option. I recently started following the Oregonian on Twitter, and that was the best decision I've literally ever made. You I, weren't before? No, I wasn't. Oh. But like, and I've been like aggressively following them. So I noticed that um, John. What do you get their tweets sent to your phone? I don't want to talk about it, but John Kitzhaber's son was recently arrested for a DUI. Did you see that thing about the Portland Timbers being arrested for DUI? I did see that. I didn't actually read it because I didn't care, but I did see that. What was that about? Um, they got arrested in Laco. For, uh, there was like a, a car wreck that happened and the police came and they were like, oh, sup, two Portland Timbers people. <laughs> and they were like, oh, you're hella intoxicated. That was the thing. So I think that Feathered Rambo kind of makes up for the fact that two of the Timbers players done fucked up. And our uh, governor's son also messed up, which, like, I'm trying hard not to judge the governor for, but also, what kind of child do you raise? Like, what kind of child do you raise that even still so much, like, white governor's son privilege in him that he just, like, 
flips cars because he's a 19-year-old white boy, you know? What the sweet fuck. Anyways. Um, yeah, I agree. Haley, are you drunk right now? I'm not drunk right now. Otherwise, the Rambo thing probably would have been way funnier, honestly. It's still pretty funny, though. <laughs> it's still pretty funny, though. It's still, yeah, it's still really funny. We did have some great milkshakes today, though. Yeah, so I'm a little, like, dairy drunk, maybe, but... Honestly, I'm, like, <laughs> dairy bloated, though, is the thing. <laughs> the realist. Oh, God. Are you drunk today, Allie? No, I'm not, but I had an amazing milkshake that I made, and I'm completely okay with the fact that most of these podcasts, if not the rest moving forward, I will be sober. Mm. Unless we find some... Thing to change my mind, I guess. Yeah, I don't think that you should stick by that because it's going to be like my ultimate goal in life to try to get you to do a podcast not sober. I think AKA, your ultimate goal in life in general is for me to do things that fall out of my like alignment. True. I am chaotic. That is so much fun for me. But also I really like um, the idea of finding you an alcohol that you don't hate as aggressively. What kind of drunk do you think I am? I think you're the crying drunk. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, I didn't want to hear the answer. No, um, you did not. Don't ask questions you don't want to hear the answer to, Allie. That's like a rule of life. Yikes. Um, well, so I don't know how to move forward because I feel really exposed right now. <laughs> segues are hard. Anyways, um, this do you know is, what's not hard? What? Talking about this book for the last time. That's true. This is the last Afterlife podcast, which I'm excited about because we get to like move on and do new things, blah, blah, blah. But also I'm so sad. This is like the first ending of our podcast. You know what I mean? Like this is the first section that's going to be closing. Almost like the first month is closing. <sighs> yeah, that's what I thought. Um, should we talk about the book now since it's our last theme episode? Yes, this is our last theme episode. Shout out to Afterlife for being a great content piece for the past month. Literally, like the and, most interesting. And I was just getting to rave about Westcott, who is also from the Portland area. Our little local treasure. Do you think our readers know that like we know Westcott personally? Well, seeing as you talked about the fact that you texted her last episode, I assumed so. And the fact that we talked about the fact that uh, she was my English and journalism teacher. I was making a joke because you said she was from the Portland area, but like we talk about the fact that we IRL know her every podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I think that we should move forward as if we know all the authors personally. Like, yeah. at Cheryl Sandberg, the fuck's up. <laughs> like, <laughs> Is she the author of Lean In? Correct. Okay, so yeah, next month we're going to be leaning, reading Leaning In. Yep. Jesus Christ, will you stop making that pun? Whatever. Uh, yes, we have to leave... We have to read... <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> we have to read Lean In, um, not only because we wanted to, but because of the fact that Kathy, who reads our... Reads no. our podcast. Please Reads shut the fuck up. Who um, <laughs> listens to our podcast? Got it from the library, so uh, she made the decision for us. Exactly. Shout out to Kathy. We're excited. We hope you're excited. Yeah. Now we need to talk about this book and find out a way to introduce a Samantha segue in here. Because she'll be upset if she listens to this and we don't talk about her. I don't think she will be upset. She was really surprised at how many shout-outs we actually, like, give her. She was like, oh my gosh, you guys talk about me so much. Well, I mean, that's what I meant. Yeah. The idea of Samantha being upset about anything is comical. <laughs> and true. there we go. We did it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Anyways, okay, so let's kind of move forward with the um, obvious Carly and Mara um, love triangle situation. Please, because I think that... That was a great part of listening to last episode. 
literally me too. So I was listening to the last episode at um, my university the other day and just like in on a couch in a public space and like laughing at my own jokes. That's great. I've never felt more self-conceited in my life. Yeah. I think the important thing and my favorite thing personally about this podcast right now is that I listen to it as we're recording it and then I edit it. Haley has no idea what this is like other than just like living the experience. So you actually like listen to our podcast to see what is up. Yeah. And I always listen to our podcast like at the end of the week. Like I listen to it Tuesday, Wednesday, and we record on Thursdays. Yeah. So like I've forgotten what we talked about by the time I listen to it. That's amazing. I think it's a good way to remember the kind of content that we have as well. Exactly. So, so so after a short recess in which I did not go pee, Please don't do that. It's going to make editing hard. Whatever. (laughs) Um, We found out that none of you guys answered our question in the hashtag, which is rude. That is hashtag rude. Hashtag rude. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So my answer to why don't you marry your literal best friend? Well, I mean, I think that having a partner is marrying your literal best friend. Does it mean that your first best friend? Maybe. Probably not. Statistically. But I think that marrying your little best friend could make things sticky in a non-ironic way. Um. Okay, so here's the sitch, though. I have a boyfriend, right? But As I've been told. Yes, yes. indeed. Um, but you and I are like BFFFFFs, right? That was and, the sweetest thing you've ever said to me. Uh, I'm already bored of that. Um, <laughs> but, like, we joke literally all the time about you being my wife. Like, it's even, true. like, like out in public ball, so... My you, wife. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the yeah. other day you, like, made food, and I was like, you make the best wife. Like, why don't we get married in a way that's not me being like, I love you, marry me. But also, I love you, marry me. Well, I think that our friendship is probably not the average friendship, because I think us being married and you having Brendan still would be, like, the ideal situation. True. So, I think that that's a conversation to have outside the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But also, um, I don't know. I don't see, like, like I couldn't marry M. Okay. And she's one of my best friends. True. Because I think that the way that we operate, even though we're best friends, is extremely different. But, like, okay... And it would not make it sticky. It would just make it... Icky. (laughs) Oh, I hate you. (laughs) But definitely high five. (laughs) Um, I'm so proud of myself today. I've made two puns and I don't even ever make pun jokes. Pun jokes? Puns? What what is... Whatever. Anyways, this is not just punny enough anymore. So... (laughs) (laughs) But we've had more puns in these than we ever did then. (laughs) We, in our defense, we've recorded one episode of just punny enough. Listen, anyway... (laughs) Um, I don't know. What do you think? I, what do you think that are the cons to it? Because I think that you should be able to find a partner that can be your best friend. You should try to have as many best friends as you can possibly have. But I do think that you cohabitate better with other folks. So then what? Then what? Like then I do with you or then like then other people do in general? I'm confused. No, I think that like... Not you. I mean, like... The, the role the you. you. Yeah. <laughs> Stop making this about yourself, Haley. God. Um, I don't know. I, I think that it could make it difficult. And I also think that it has to do with 
like romantic and sexual attraction for most folks. Like I don't know that for most folks they could marry their best friend and then go off living their lives. So do you think that's the problem with like Mara and Carly is that in theory like outside of the fact that they were obviously meant to fall in love and Westcott just doesn't go through that. Um, yeah. If we're going to take the book literally, why don't they get together in the end? Do you think it's because they're not sexually attracted to one another? Do you think that 18-year-olds have that um, conscious discussion with themselves? Like, what? What? I think some 18-year-olds definitely can. I think that they did not get together. Mm, I don't know. I To me, it just seems... Like, they didn't have enough interactions to prove to me that they are best friends. And I know that that had a lot to do with the, like, Mara going off on her own and Carly having to deal with a lot of shit on herself. So, like, this was more of, like, a turbulent episode of their friendship Mm -hmm. that, like, the readers see. Mm -hmm. But I don't see them... I don't know. Okay, I guess... I don't see a lot of compatibility in them, like, living together, I guess. I guess I agree. I don't think that they're best friends. I think that that makes a case even more so for them being lovers. I agree. We're actually not talking about that this time. (laughs) Yeah, we can't go back down that road again. But, Westcott, you were wrong. They were definitely meant to be together the end. Moving forward. Yeah, and one of Westcott's editors also agrees with that. In hindsight. I don't think we're allowed to, like, say that, but on the DL, Westcott's editor definitely agrees with us, so... Anyway... Moving so on. one of the things that we also want to talk about in this episode in specific was authority. Yes, authority as a theme throughout this whole novel. Absolutely. So, I mean, when I think of authority in that text, I think of oh, the French teacher, mm-hmm. the principal, mm-hmm. the softball coach. Okay. Um, like the who parents. Are, the parents, yeah. I mean, we talked about them a little bit last episode, mm-hmm. but we did not talk about Carly's mom. True. Um, Yeah, we delved in a little bit, but mostly in context of Carly. Yeah. So, what are your feelings about the authority figures in this text? It's really interesting because the French teacher, Plofflofflum, she is like... I think it's Pariah? Pariah? It can't be Pariah, is the thing. I always say Pariah when I'm reading it, but like it can't be the word Pariah, right? I think it's Paria then or something. Whatever. The The French French teacher. teacher. (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting because her authority sort of like grows and shapes over the novel in that she's like literally an authority figure because she's the professor or she's the teacher. I've been in college too long. Honestly. Um, And then we find out retroactively that she's been this like authority figure for Carly outside of school. Um, And then at the end, when they do like the seance at her place, we find out that she's like an authority figure outside of all of that because of context. Like even though there are adults in her home and even though like she is not their teacher anymore. She's still the authority because she's still the one who has the knowledge that everyone else needs. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that if we're also like trying to bring in the character development, I think that she also develops as well in the sense of like, yes, in the, like on paper, she had the same situation happen to her twice of like letting kids in and then getting fucked over over it. But I do think that her still wanting to help and like trusting in Mara's intuition and stuff before she even recognized because she didn't even see an experience of herself of the ghost until like the end of the book Mm -hmm. so to validate Mara's experiences there and to validate Carly's even though we don't necessarily see that in the text I do think 
is valuable because she could have just shut off and changed her teaching style mm-hmm. after what had happened to her in the first time. Well, and at the end, she really validates Carly by being like, yes, you can take control of this situation. Right. I'll just be the second. And, you know, she says she's not the authority figure there, but, like, she's equal parts validating Carly's ability to be the authority and, like, holding back and being like, well, I can... I really know what's going on, and I can make sure we're safe, but Carly is the the person. Yeah, I agree. I don't know that she necessarily on paper made the best decisions for her teaching career, obviously, but I do think that being a mentor for students and providing that safe space, not only for Carly and Mara, but I think also having the that Asian lunch club mm-hmm. that's there as well, even though it's there by default... Like, she is known as a safe space Mm -hmm. in that platform, which I do think is important for students to have. It's really interesting because, like, outside of the podcast, we have talked about, like, this a lot in terms of you and your teaching habits. Like, I think you're going to be a lot like the teacher, um, the French teacher. Please. Um, And so it's really interesting for me to hear, like, your thoughts on her being a safe space because I feel like there's a lot of... Not a lot that you um, are modeling your life after her, but, like, a lot that you guys are going in parallel. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting that, like, I don't know, you value the fact that she's this safe space, but also she, like, did get fucked over. She did, she is having to readjust her life because of being this safe space. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would say that our experiences are more parallel. Hers has more witchcraft than mine. Meh, you're still 20 somewhat. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, uh, <laughs> um, Haley, you did have a lot of feelings about the softball coach. Do you want to touch on those before we stop talking about this book for all of a while? I guess. Okay, so when I was reading, the softball coach did this thing. Uh, he was this creepy guy. Um, and they talk about how one of the te- or one of the students has a crush on him, and then they, like, show him while he's, like, readjusting himself at some point, and he just gives me the weirdest vibe, and I thought for sure he was going to be this, like, looming authority figure that was, like, you know, one of those creepy men authority figures to teenage girls, like, one of those creepy softball coaches. Yeah. They never really delve into that. They never really go into, like, what kind of person he actually is, so I don't know, but, like, it definitely gives me the vibe that he's, like, not a cool guy. I agree. So I didn't really have anything to say about that, but I wish that we had gotten confirmation that he's not a cool guy, but also you got to just trust your instincts when you're like, wow, this guy is not in it for my best interest. Yeah. The other authority figure that I thought was prominent that we haven't talked about a lot was Danny. Yes. Because she's inextricably linked to Mara situations, which I think is interesting for a dad's girlfriend potentially stepmom kind of situation because Mm -hmm. she doesn't really have to force the connection there it just kind of happened granted she almost like killed mara at first with like the anger of the situation but i do think that it's an interesting way of writing the future stepmom character Mm -hmm. who's either usually like very angry or just gone and aloof yeah Um, you have a lot of, like, experience with the step-parents. Both of your parents have, like, gone on to have serious relationships after they got divorced. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really, like, how do you feel about, is she an authority figure tomorrow, this 18-year-old girl, when she's all of a sudden in the picture? Like, what, what gives her the right to be an authority? I think what makes her an authority is her tolerance towards Mara. 
at first I think it's more so like placating her and trying to make sure that she's the good middle person between Mara and her dad. Um, hashtag yawn. Um, but I do think that after that, when she realizes what Mara is experiencing and then the fact that it's tied in with her sister, it's a way for both of them to heal. And I think that rather than step relationships, which can usually be about like um, projecting or covering things up, this is really a relationship that has a lot of like healing in it, which I think is beneficial not only for Danny and Mara, but for Danny and the dad Mm -hmm. as well to know that like this relationship between the two of them is on good hands, but that they're also both healing at the same time. It, it becomes a more um, genuine relationship as opposed to the very, I don't know the word I'm looking for, but yeah, I mean, usually artificial. The, yeah. They're very artificial and they usually follow very like concrete, like cliched steps mm-hmm. and the relationship between Danny and Mara is not cliched by any means. So you think that like, Initially the healing, but then later on the genuineness, whatever, of that relationship makes her, like, a viable authority figure. I agree Mm. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The other thing that I think makes her, like, an authority, I don't know if I would say an authority, but the thing that makes her, like, a good stepmom is um, that she's aggressively human. She doesn't try to be Mara's parent. I agree with that. She just tries to cohabitate with Mara. Like you said, when she finds out that, like, she thinks Mara's... um, like, touching on her own personal life, like, delving too deep into her life. Um, she has a very human response. Also, I say, um, so much in this podcast. But she has a very human response. She sure. freaks out, um, is... She freaks out and yells at Mara as, like, this is ridiculous, you're going over the line here. But she does it in a very human way that's, like, she's willing to listen eventually once she gets past her anger. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's just very... I don't know, it's very, um, authentic. And refreshing. Refreshing. That's a good word. Yeah. I think having having a character... Because Danny is portrayed as young. Not super young, but I'd say late 20s, probably. I think she's actually portrayed as older than that. I think she's like 30s. Okay. Um, but I also got the impression she was super young. But then reading over the text, I think she's like mid-30s. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. She just seemed more Mara's age than Mara's mom's age. Mm-hmm. But I think that probably has to do with the fact that she didn't raise kids. So, And I think that has to do with the fact that she's looking at Mara as a peer. She's not I acting agree. like this parental, I'm going to send you away character, because that's not who Danny is. That's And Danny recognizes that like she doesn't have that. That's not. She's not Mara's mom. She's cohabitating a space with Mara and the man she loves. Yeah, I agree. So, um, the other thing is at the end, we sort of get this vibe that Danny might be pregnant. And Soren says that, oh, yeah, I told David that you were going to be such a good sister, blah, blah, blah. So, like, let's talk a little bit about her ability to parent Soren's spirit brother, maybe. Yes. Um, I read that situation as semi a spooky way to end it Mm -hmm. of the fact that even though Soren is no longer being like haunted he still has these spirit medium abilities which I think is an interesting way of intertwining the supernatural into a 
more natural reality context mm-hmm. because I think that a lot of people associate themselves as mediums um, or like in touch with like the spirit realm yeah. kind of thing. And so for like a child to say that is still creepy, but it's supposed to be this like reassuring way to end the text. But I think that you had a lot more feelings about that than I did. I thought it was super spooky. And I think that Westcott intended it to be reassuring. Like, everyone's moving on. Everything is cute little bows. And, you know, everything gets wrapped up at the end. But that's not how I felt at all. No. I was like, that's so weird. Oh, my goodness. David's going to be this creepy kid. And it's all... That's so weird to me. I... Mm, and I thought it was a perfect way to end it because it is so spooky. But I think Westcott meant for it to be reassuring. The way that... I imagine it in my head going is in horror movies when there's like a soft score going at the end of a movie Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden the score stops and there's that like one line or it pans into that Mm -hmm. one creepy thing to pre like to set up for a sequel. That's how I read that scene of like it's it's supposed to be this like idyllic end of something but Mm -hmm. there's a hint of spookiness there still. Absolutely. Because he would... David would be traumatized and also inextricably linked to Danny in so many other ways other than being a child. That's true. To them. I didn't even think about the fact that David would have feelings about his mom, um, air quotes, because of the fact that, like, Danny is Nikki's sister. Yes. And David got killed because of, blatantly, and apparently because of Nikki. Yes. So David would have a lot of feelings about that. I'm not sure if David's soul would be okay with that, honestly. I mean, he chose it, so he obviously would, but I don't know if he would really have done that. I don't necessarily agree the fact that, if, I don't think that David would choose that. Because of the fact that it obviously seems like there's a soul that has unrest there. Mm-hmm. So it would take a lot of... Because David is pictured as what? Still a child. I think he's like eight, maybe six, something like that. So to have that kind of maturity to understand Danny's position in that narrative and to forgive her for not doing anything but just existing mm-hmm. within that space is something that comes with with age and with adolescence and growth and like empathy. And I don't know that like an eight-year-old who's very still quick from trauma... And just been, like, living in the veil and, like, trying to contact Soren would be able to do that. So, David was eight when he died, but Mara says that it's been 14 years since then. So, I wonder if David's soul is a soul of an eight-year-old or is this eight plus 14? 22. So, uh, an hour-aged soul that's deciding that. You know, I wonder if he's emotionally had the time to grow and accept and also maybe even if he didn't maybe he would pick Danny because she is linked maybe he feels like she's still gonna be aware and be understanding of his family you know maybe he feels connected to her in that way and would understand that as David's soul is like acclimating to this new space I think Danny of all people would be empathetic of that situation so maybe and maybe so it does comforting. Because maybe Danny, I mean, I doubt that Danny would recognize that it's David's soul, but maybe sure. Danny would feel toward that as well and be like, oh, I'm going to have more patience and more love. I don't think that a mom could have more love for one kid rather than a different soul who happened to be her kid. But, you know, she'll be so patient and so loving toward David, especially because... Maybe not more love, but more compassion. Thank you. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you and our readers, this is going to be my question. I don't, apparently I'm having a question that every week, but like I wanted to ask Wes got this so bad, but I never did. Do you think that Danny's child is going to be a boy? More importantly, do you think that Danny's child has to be a boy? No. If David's soul is reincarnated, what, what sex is that child? I don't think that David has to be a boy. I think that... I, I mean, I guess it's really not up to David either. It's really up to the doctors. It's true. So, but do you think David's soul will always be a masculine soul? Do you think even if he's born a female, he'll I think that I think that your soul has a place on the gender spectrum. And I don't know that that changes even if your body is a different gender expression if you really believe that i want to talk about that so much outside of this podcast i can't even stand it um because i think so i don't know because i mean david is well i mean okay we can't really talk about david because we don't really know about david but soren identifies as as colton Mm -hmm. who's so so it's really Colton's soul, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So Colton's soul is masculine. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, as Although, much as a masculine, like as much as an eight and four or a six and four year old boy can express. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. So if if Colton identifies that way, but was born as a. Sarah, mm-hmm. not a Soren. I I feel like you're. I mean, I think that in every life, your gender expression can be different. I don't. I don't disagree with that at all. But I, but I do think that the first person that you were, mm-hmm. like who your soul is, yeah, probably has a has a has a, a inherent expression of gender like a concrete place on the spectrum that maybe fluctuates a little bit but pretty much stays there always yeah Hmm. that's very very interesting to me so i think like maybe in other spaces sarah would be safer Mm -hmm. you know or soren would be safer you know not necessarily in the present day but i'm thinking like in other lives Mm -hmm. so maybe it was more effective to be born in those spaces i don't even know if souls have control over you know what i mean exactly I think that, yeah, I think I'm going to go with the fact that I think souls have an inherent gender identity. Great. Um, Good luck um, to you on our car ride back to uh, Oregon, (laughs) because we're going to be talking about that nonstop. Um, Moving forward sort of in afterlife still, though. um, We haven't talked about Adam or Brick at all. Oh my goodness, at all. And I feel like that's kind of an injustice. To everything about this book, honestly. Yeah. Okay, so you didn't really have that many feelings about Adam the last time we talked. Um, no. Or about, like, his situation or I even more feelings that. about Brick than I do about Adam. And okay. you have more feelings about Adam. So many feelings about Adam. Um, I have a lot of feelings about the name Adam, but not this Adam. <laughs> um, so the way that Westcott sort of, like, writes this mystery novel is such that you, like, get impressions of what happens, but you never really figure out what happens until the very end. And it's, like, sort of a plot twist, sort of not a plot twist. Um, it just sort of 
exists in a weird way. Yeah. So basically, um, Adam confesses to all three murders of all three boys. Um, and I don't get why he does that. Like, so we find out later. I don't even want to really say this because I don't want to spoil people who haven't read. This is the coolest part of the book to me. But like, we spoiled everything else. I know, but this is the coolest part of the book to me. Okay, fine. But how are we going to talk about Adam? Because I think that my answer to it is the reason that he confessed to those murders is because I do think the fact that he genuinely believes he murdered all of his kids. Or he killed all of his kids. Yeah. Okay, then you spoil it because I can't do it. No. Fuck you guys. Read Afterlife. Great. Um, Um, (laughs) (laughs) Please, read Afterlife. Give Westcott the money that she deserves by reading this text. Real. Um, But I do think that that kind of emphasizes her guilt as a parent. Mm -hmm. And I think that that shows how Westcott would feel if her kids died. Fair. And see, I I don't believe that people are like good or whatever, right? (coughs) By and large. Yeah. Um, So I really think the reason that Adam confesses to all three murders is to avoid the shame that like would go along with not confessing to all three murders, only confessing to like the murders he actually did. What, What verb is murders? Um, the murders he actually... Committed. Committed. Thank you. So I think that he does it more out of shame for the reality than than the fact that he really believes that, you know? Interesting. Yeah, I think that part, now that I'm reflecting on it, reminds me a lot of uh, criminal serial shows, so mm-hmm. like Criminal Minds, CSI, whatever. And I don't know that most parents would commit themselves to the sentence that Adam got for all murders of his children. I don't know if that's true, though, because if you murder one person, you're probably going to get the same sentence that, like, if you murder a quadrillion people, right? You're still going to get life in prison? always, because it's multiple counts. Because it'd be, like, one count of murder, mm-hmm. right, versus, like, three counts. I don't... I'm not... This is not my yep. area of expertise at all. But I do think that it would lengthen the sentence if you didn't already get it into life. Okay. So maybe he, um, so maybe he really does think that, but also I think that he's just too ashamed of, like, the way that the situation actually went down to admit to what happened. Like, um, I don't remember what I was going to say after that, but yeah, I think it's all just about being unable to admit other wrongdoings. I think that for some reason, killing all three children for him is easier to admit than just killing one. Well, I think that that gives a lot of space for any listeners to comment on their feelings about that, for Mm -hmm, sure. Definitely. And I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts about Afterlife? Uh, Do you have any final thoughts? You said you had a lot of feelings about Brick. Tell me about the Brick feels. Well, I mean, I feel that way also about, like, I don't know, the idea of him being the one who was the ghost is spooky to me. Yeah. The and just one. like, I didn't expect it in my, in both of my readings. Yeah. So. Being like um, the he that, um, you get like that David and Soren are talking about mm-hmm. infinitely. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, the other like last thing of afterlife is I got so mad. I was like, well, where's Abby? This is such a plot hole. I can't stand it. How does Abby survive the little sister of these boys? Mm-hmm. How does she survive when no one else does? So I even texted Westcott and I was like, Okay, so practical question time. Where is Abby? What the heck? And she was like, mm, you sort of stumped me on that one, kid. I don't know. 
But then I went through the book, I combed through it because I'm stubborn and relentless, and I found out that it does actually say in the book that Abby is in fact out with her mom visiting family, air quotes. So Westcott, if you're listening to this, you did not make a plot hole, and I'm sorry for accusing you of having one. Yeah, it was just fine. We were searching for Abby in our Kindle, and we couldn't find it, and then Haley searched for sister and found it. Exactly. It was like, and the baby sister was, instead of saying Abby was. Yeah. So it ended up being fine. Yep. My final thoughts on Afterlife is I'm thankful that we started our podcast reading it. I'm grateful that Westcott wrote it. I think that she understands horror well, and I would like her to continue writing, and her next book is coming out next year. But what is it? I don't know. Sure. Um, but eventually I would like to read the Frulian series because I think that that's where she shines most. Awesome. I honestly almost started reading it the other day just like for fun. And then I was like, no, I paused and I was like, no, we might listen to it for the podcast. Exactly. Anyways, so we might listen to it uh, for the podcast is how I feel about every book nowadays. That's true. So people can listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes and YouTube infinitely. Please, if you're listening to us on YouTube and have a few minutes to work on captioning those, I would greatly appreciate it. Um... We need captions literally ASAP as possible, you guys. Yeah. We don't have time to currently do it because I'm in grad school and Haley is busy with academic things as well. And I would really appreciate it. We're also on Patreon. Please, if you're able to and you have money, hit us up on Patreon at chaptersandchill.patreon.com. At any future sponsors, please hit us up. We'll Mm. talk. Absolutely. We, um, <laughs> we're always down for that money, money. Especially authors who want us to read your books. We are willing um, and like, would love to. Yeah, if there are like local authors, uh, excuse me, local authors that are reading this. Um, Listening to this, Allie. God damn it. <laughs> um, hit us up. Let us know, because we have a list of suggestions for books that we want to talk about. Exactly, and for as little as a dollar a month, um, you can have input into what we do, but not, I don't know, that sounded wrong. Not in a, like, hashtag sponsor sort of way, but, like, also in a hashtag sponsor sort of way. Yeah, I mean, we want that money money. Um, On Twitter, you can find us at chapters N chill, not and. So it's chapters and then the letter N, chill. We're also everywhere else on the internet at chapters and chill so chapters and chill.tumblr.com we have our slack which is chapters and chill.slack.com the only place that we're not is at our email which Haley has a lot of feelings about yep Allie and Haley read at gmail.com is our email and once again is it um is it just our email address for our podcast or is it a passive aggressive statement I don't know um but it is a passive aggressive statement so Allie and Haley read at gmail.com love it Yep. Sounds great. You only took one pee break. I only took one pee break, and it wasn't even a pee break. It was a water break. What up? So, good job on you. Exactly. And with that, Haley. Um, I feel like God gave us this podcast tonight. Holy Um, shit. And I feel feel thankful for this podcast tonight, and I feel God in this Chili's. So, and also, ASAP is possible is also an office reference, so I got two of them. Holla. Yeah. What up? Respond to Haley's questions on Twitter using the hashtag Chaps and Chili. Respond also with office quotes that we can use. That yes. would be dope. And I also feel God in this Chili's tonight. And start reading Lean In because we're going to be talking about it next week. Yep. Start leaning. Le- Damn it. I hate you. And I'm ending this podcast Bye. right now. Bye.